But my brother, my older brother, five years older than me, I went home and I told him, mate, I'm going to get a knife. And he didn't put me down, didn't get me into trouble, and he didn't tell me what to do. But he said the following. He said, Marty, if you get a knife and you get into a fight, two things are going to happen. One, they're going to get the knife off you and you're screwed. Or they're not going to get the knife off you, you'll stab someone and you're screwed. Now, as a 14-year-old, neither of those options had ever occurred to me. (laughs) I had the vision of I'd pull the knife out, the gang would run away and the girl would come and go, Marty, you're the hero. Yes. That was it. Never thought of the other options. Mm. I never got a knife and that could have saved my life. Okay, life can be crazy. You're feeling like you're sinking. Just trying to find a meaning. It's time for better thinking. Yeah, better thinking. Time to tune in. Let's go. Welcome back to Better Thinking. My name's Nesh Nikolic, and today's guest is Martin Fisk. He's the CEO of Men's Link, and today's topic is men's mental health in this ever-increasing complex world. Martin has a really interesting perspective about what young men are going through these days and what we can do in terms of mentoring and supporting them through those challenges of growing up and going through life. I hope you enjoy this episode. It's very informative and I'm sure you'll get a lot out of it. Martin, big thank you for coming into the studio today. No, that's all right, Nash. I'm glad we finally got it done in COVID. Took a little little, little, uh, sort of organising and a couple of attempts at it, but here we are. Yeah, excellent. Glad to be here. Today's topic, uh, I, I believe it's sort of men's health, particularly younger persons. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in that. I know that uh, you you head up, so to speak, Men's Link, you know, community sort of uh, based uh, service here in Canberra. Maybe tell us a little bit about about that first. Yeah, I've been at uh, Men's Link, which is a uh, Canberra charity supporting young fellas from ten through to twenty five. I've been here nearly 10 years and I have excellent qualifications in the School of Hard Knocks, (laughs) but not in much else. So, and I, and, and I spoke to my predecessor when I first started or before, you know, while I was being interviewed and he talked about Men's Link and I had a bit of a tumultuous period when I was a, was a teenager and things like that, battling with all sorts of, you know, mental health issues and, and you know, uh, pretty extreme bullying at school, um, self-medication, suicide attempts, all of that stuff. And he described what Men's Link did and I went, wow, I wish I'd had access to that when I was a kid because when I was a kid, mental health wasn't really a word. I had to hide to mm. go and see, you know, a psychiatrist. I mean, if if the kids at school had found out I was getting support for just standard issues in my mm. life, I would have been, you know, more mercilessly bullied than I was. Mm-hmm. And so I went, you know what, Men's Link would have been fantastic. And not only having a service available for young guys and, and all of our services are free of charge. We don't want any barrier getting in the way of a young fellow or his, um, his parents getting support from us. Um, but also, again, importantly, just normalising the fact that every guy, every single guy is going to go through a hard time in his life. He's going to have deaths in his family. Mm. He's probably going to have a relationship breakdown. He might be getting bullied. He might have uh, exam stress. He's probably going to lose a job at some point in time or not get a job. And all of those things are going to happen. Our job at Men's Link is to try and get the young fella through those tough times with the least amount of harm to himself, with the least amount of damage to those people around him, and also importantly, give him the tools that he can then use for the next time he has a tough time mm-hmm. without needing to, um, 
go and get, you know, expensive, um, you know, mental health supports. If he needs them, that's great. But if we can teach a young guy how to be resilient, then I think that's that's our ultimate outcome. One of the things that uh, we were talking about before starting this was this kind of disparity around how far we've come with regards to reducing stigma. That, that you know, once upon a time, as, as you say, when you were a young man, it was very uh, th- uh, scary to go out and seek support. And you know, here we are, you know, so, some years on, and things have dramatically improved. I'm not saying they're, they're perfect, but we've taken some really strong st- strides. But there is still some lack in, in tools, uh, I think you mentioned there. Can you tell us a little bit about what you mean by that? Yeah, I think, Nesh, we've made incredible strides in reducing the stigma. So instead of mental health or a mental breakdown or um, any of those things being, you know, my God, that's a terrible thing, we've reduced the stigma of that. But one of the things we haven't done as a society is made a similar investment in places where guys can talk. So we're still saying guys won't talk. And almost that's a little bit of victim blaming because one of the things that we found, I'm sure you found in your practice and a lot of other uh, guy-focused youth charities have found is that guys will talk Mm. if they feel safe. But as somebody pointed out to me um, in a GP surgery the other day, they said the only poster on the wall featuring a guy was about family violence with the guy as the perpetrator. And so guys can struggle with where do I get help? One of the things that we've done and we've done extensive work at Menslink is making sure that it's a non-clinical, guy-friendly, no-judgment place that young fellas can go and get some um, support for whatever it is going on in their life. And I, th- I think that's really important. In fact, there was a, a study in the US which um, asked young guys, why don't you get support? And they turned around and said, because they couldn't see the point of getting support. And I think one thing we mm. found is young guys are looking for advice. They're not just... Is that different? L- is that different in terms of advice versus support? Uh, is that sort of men find it supporting to get advice or is it still that traditional to be heard, to be understood, to problem solve? Where, 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 how do you see that? Is, is it different between young men and, and let, let's say, young women? Um, obviously I've spent, you know, <laughs> the bulk of my career with young guys. Sure. So I, so while I, I do have two young daughters, um, I've got less experience in that. But I think guys um, are looking to be heard, to offload stuff, but also to be guided through that problem-solving approach and sometimes to get that little bit of advice. Mm. Because that resonates for me, you know, being obviously a young man once upon a time, um, hopefully still am in, in many, many respects. For me, that would have been incredibly powerful. You know, once you develop respect for someone, you know, that's that role modelling. Uh, advice is incredible because you tend to take that on board. You tend to think about that a whole lot more. Uh, I think advice is is powerful. It's very different to... In so many ways where psychology tries not to, it tries to steer and kind of look at different perspectives. Uh, but at the same time, I, I think there is a very real opportunity for very direct you know, advice giving, not necessarily as in you know, pushing someone in, in, in a way, but uh, you know, offering some possibilities uh, that, that I think young men might, might be more geared to from a solution-focused Perspective. I think the other thing, Nesh, that we find with our young fellas is they need options. So a lot of the time their experience of an adult male 
has typically been in an authority figure. Yes. Right? So you have to do this. You need to do this. Why haven't you cleaned your room? You know, you're on detention, whatever. Without the respect. Yeah. Yes, yes. But when we when we train our volunteer mentors for supporting our young guys, we ensure that they give the young fellas options and the young guy's free to choose. They don't yes. ever tell the young guy. And I remember a story from my teenage years. As, as I said a bit earlier, you know, I'd been just diabolically bullied all my life. And I remember going to school one time, I think I was about 14 or something like that, and a mate of mine at school pulls up his uh, trouser leg and he goes, Marty, check this out. And he had a knife strapped to his leg. It was a light bulb moment for me. I went, wow, I'm going to get a knife. All my problems are solved. (laughs) And I went home and here's the important bit. Obviously, you're never going to tell a teacher. Obviously, you're never going to tell a parent. But my brother, my older brother, five years older than me, I went home and I told him, mate, I'm going to get a knife. And he didn't put me down, didn't get me into trouble, and he didn't tell me what to do. But he said the following. He said, Marty, if you get a knife and you get into a fight, two things are going to happen. One... They're going to get the knife off you and you're screwed. Or they're not going to get the knife off you, you'll stab someone and you're screwed. Now, as a 14-year-old, neither of those options had ever occurred to me. (laughs) I had the vision of I'd pull the knife out, the gang would run away and the girl would come and go, Marty, you're the hero. Yes. That was it. Never thought of the other options. Mm. I never got a knife and that could have saved my life. And that I think is the power of having a non-judgmental guy friendly. There's no way I would have told an adult female that story. And having that level of support I, I think is critical. So, you know, when I, when I talk to governments and um, the media and things like that, it's like try thinking about investing in some gender-specific places because our suicide rate of males is still four times the rate of women. Domestic violence almost always perpetrated by males. AMC, our jail here in Canberra, 90% male. Bimbury, the youth detention centre, 90% male. There's something going on. So investing in some guy-friendly places where they can get the sort of advice, non-judgmental mm. advice, really critical. It's interesting ju- just having a space available to chat, you know, to talk through one's thoughts uh, allows for that, it, just perspective-taking. As you say, young people, well, and that, that, that sort of uh, uh, opens up to even older people don't always see every perspective that, that that's what the whole of you know, this practice is is uh, based on as well it's, it's providing uh, perspective but certainly for a younger population um, they might not have considered all the different avenues uh, there's there's a uh, it's actually speaking to David Sloan Wilson, one of the sort of evolutionary biologists, um, fairly well known he was talking about trying to create schools or, or the benefits of schools who uh, adopt having different age groups uh, uh, co-studying and playing uh, together and that the older students will moderate younger students so that bullying doesn't occur as frequent or as intensely because someone steps in. Obviously, when you have one teacher on, on playground duty versus you have you know, a bunch of 15-year-olds you know, in the same sort of space as nine-year-olds, and the nine-year-olds start having a, a, a difficult time, someone tends to step in. And, and that, that's a sort of mentoring space that you're talking about, obviously, at a different age range. Uh, but what, what, what do you think is so useful and powerful around having mentors? I know it sounds like a fairly basic question, but what, what are those things that you think the young people that come to your service uh, 
you know, what, what are they benefiting most? Why do they keep coming back? You, you were saying demand at the moment is through the roof, that you guys can't keep up with demand. Uh, well, what is it that young people, are, young, young men are looking for these days? So I think young guys are looking for somebody who can help them navigate an increasingly complex world for them, whether that's um, pressures of school, family, uh, gender identity. It's getting big. Mm. Um, you know, this year, what happens when you leave school? Where's that going? Um, all of those pressures are coming on massively amplified by the media and social media and the entertainment industries, both propagating a completely view of what the ideal man should be and at the same time making them feel anxious because they don't have ripped abs, the latest gear, um, and also propagating a world where um, aggression is, again, amplified. So you're getting a bunch of guys going, how do I navigate the world? At the same time, we have an issue where they're being generally underfathered. It might surprise you to learn that at the last census, between 21 and 24% of all teenagers in Australia lived in a single mum household. What was the stats here? 21 to? To 24%. And the reason that's different is there's a cutoff at 14. So. Sure. Um, so that's a massive number. Now, that's not with mum and a stepdad or dad and a stepmum. That's just single mum. And of that nearly a quarter of teenagers, half of them saw their dad once a month or less and half of them had no overnight stay. So they're not getting that significant time. That's staggering. Yeah. So I remember one of our um, uh, politicians from the ACT grew up as an orphan and he um, he said, nobody taught me how to shave. How was I going to learn how to shave when I didn't have a dad? And there's all of those sort of rites of passage things that, that young fellas aren't getting. And as I said before, you know, our Indigenous cousins have done this for tens of thousands of years. The young boys learn how to be adult men from adult men. The young girls learn how to be adult women from the elder women. Secret men's business, secret women's business. And I think we've lost a bit of that. Yeah, why, why has that become so controversial? It, there's almost like a controversy around, you know, you're not allowed to say that or that's not okay. You know, uh, men should go out and, and spend time with, you know, men and women. It should always be equal. Why, why is there sort of a backlash around saying, Men get something from men, you know, or boys, my apology, you know, get something from, from, you know, older boys or, you know, hopefully mentors men. I think, I think it's just normal and, mm. and, and that does not detract at all from the opposite sex. Mm. My daughters, both teenagers, learn how to be adult women from the women in their lives. No matter how hard I try, <laughs> I cannot tell them in any way, shape or form what it's like to be an adult woman. I just can't. I can guess. I can tell them what is important in being an adult human being. I can talk about kindness and respect and all of those things. But at the end of the day, I can't. It's fascinating because I think about while you were talking, me trying to put hair clips in my daughter's hair. I've got two two lilies, and uh, they've already perfected it you know, much better than what Dad can. And sometimes Mum says, "You know, can you do the girl's hair?" No, oh, I do them. Uh, they just don't look very uh, uh, girl like. Uh, I, I just do it the best way I can, and you know, usually. The girls themselves will fix it up for me or, or my wife will come and you know, put the details in. 
because it's just not something I, I ever knew how to do. I don't. I still don't know how to do. Uh, I, I can fumble around, but I, I just don't have the the repetition. My younger, well, my 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 children, uh, they've already got you know a much better grasp of how, how to be little girls because that's what they are. I just don't know how to do it. I'm kind of just doing it by by yeah. kind of like mimicking. Is that how you do it? And I'll just do my best. But I'm with a boy. Um, I think it's different, you know. I, I just do what I naturally do, which is a bit of you know, a bit more rough and tumble, which is what I do with my girls anyway. But you, you know, there would be more of a, uh, if if I can use the word aggression, you know, it, it's more physical, uh, and they'd probably just learn by viewing dad, you know, pushing a lawnmower around and you know, uh, all, all the manly sort of things, because that's just what I naturally do anyway. I'm not doing it any different in modelling. To, to, to a boy I'm, I'm assuming um it's just i'm just being me and they they model that from me and they model what they model from their mum yeah i think um there was a a, a chap and i'm i'm afraid i can't remember his name but he founded a, a thing called the yellow ribbon project in singapore and he talks about mums protect their kids by taking away risk and 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 protecting them from risk Dads protect their kids by showing them how to take risks and protecting them from the future. And then importantly, both are needed. Mm. You know, I think that's, uh, that's critical. You, you, you need, you know, both of those influences. Now, they don't have to be your biological parents. You know, I've got 100 mentors out there whose young fellas, their mentees, don't have much contact with their biological fathers for whatever reason, whole whole bunch of reasons. And the mentors don't step in to be dads, but they're able to provide that guidance. And I think, um, you know, young women, if they don't have a, a mum in their, in their life or they're, they're not getting along well so well with mum, and that can happen, um, they also need a female mentor to help them grow to become adult women. You also spoke a little bit uh, around the challenges of trying to navigate through a, you know increasingly complex world, and I know that we also touched on before uh, before this interview about um, how there are, uh, I suppose, you know, other organisations for it, whether it be entertainment or um, you know social media or the like. Uh, are these the complexities that are, are, are different the, the, these days? Uh, what, what sort of stands out for you? Why, why is it more complex these days? So I think social media and also the mainstream media and entertainment industries are very damaging to our young people. And I'm not just talking about young guys now, but young people in general and, and frankly to us adults for a range of reasons. One is they are entirely ubiquitous, uh, and I'll talk about that in a minute. The second is what they're promoting is not reality, but they do it so well. And the, the third one is the, uh, is the promotion of, of aggression and violence and the celebration of aggression and violence. If I look at ubiquity f- for the moment, in the old days, right, and I'm sounding like an old bastard here, but <laughs> pre-social media, if you were getting bullied at school, that bullying would stop when you got off the bus and you could go to your home and have a sanctuary. That doesn't exist anymore. We had a young fella who kids at school set up a social media account saying something like, Nesh is dumb, right? And what they would do would be take photographs of this young guy, put up stupid comments and post them into this account. This account followed that young guy around 24 by 7. Wow. And he got support through us. The account couldn't be shut down. And we said to him, mate, um, you know, you've kind of got to look at it, don't you? 
And he goes, yeah, I can't not. And the real challenge is it wasn't just, you know, the two kids at school who were putting it up, but it was their friends who would, who would like it. Now, a like to them was, oh, that was a funny photo of Nesh, you know. Yeah, with a oh, funny face it, and it one, says One dumb. click and, and I've moved on to the next thing. Took, took me, you know, 1.6 seconds to do that. But to that kid, that was yet another person who'd piled on. And they weren't just kids from his school. They were kids from another school and then another school, mm. another state. So... Rightly or wrongly, this kid's walking around thinking that the entire world is against him and laughing at him. Now, there is a commercial platform that's making money out of that. What does that kid do? You know, again, he can't not look at it. Mm. So, so there's an example of where I think um, social media platforms can and are used for incredible harm. And I don't care whether you're a young man or a young woman or an adult man or an adult woman. Those comments on social media hurt. And one of the things I'm very strong on is not making any derogatory comment on social media. And personally, I don't even like comments that are made in a derogatory fashion on social media. And it's interesting, I did an experiment about 18 months ago and I stopped liking because sometimes somebody would make a comment, you know, I, I dislike this politician or, you know, this shouldn't have happened in the supermarket and blah, 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 right? They, they, they get on a high horse and, and the outrage starts coming out. And I'd like it just to support the person. Yeah, I, you know, I agree. I'd be upset with that too, like and every morning when I look at my social media feeds, they'd be full of this bile and vitriol, people complaining all the time. And, mate, I'll tell you, it gets you down. Mm. So I did an experiment. Even if I liked the person, make, yeah, personally sure. liked the person making the comment, I refused to like on social media any comment that was negative about any other person or institution. And do you know what? I had a young fella come up to me the other day. Oh, I'm, I'm so uh, overwhelmed with anxiety about the um, Black Lives Matter riots in the US because my social media feeds are full of these warring parties. And I went, you know what, mate? I don't get any of that in my social media. I get my news from news websites that I choose to go to but my social media feeds have stopped sending me that because they can't make money out of it. And it's interesting because they're, they're designed in such a way to reinforce, in theory, what it is that we like, as in like personally like, but in actual fact, it ends up being what we've clicked on that is primarily clickbait or is a caption. And so we're like, oh, that's an interesting you know, title, I'm going to look at it. And then the platform says, we'll give you more of that versus it actually being a real account of reality. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're kind of enticed to click in that sort of space and then that gets that, that, that's that reinforcement loop that you're talking about. But it's even worse than that because we think that the social media feeds are what our friends are doing. That's why we sign on to the platforms, right? <laughs> but they're not. They're not. They're not at all. So I put up again in another experiment, I put up two posts. One was with no photos or anything, the fact that I'd checked into the Hotel International in Wagga Wagga. Hundreds of likes for no reason. I put up a post about a week later with a photo. So all the things that would attract likes, so you put up a photograph, all of that stuff, and it was about suicide prevention. Now, I know a 
bunch of my friends are really interested in suicide prevention. In fact, the ones, you know, who work at Lifeline, of sure, course, you sure. know, that's why colleagues. we're friends. Yes. Got a handful of likes. What was the difference? The fact that Facebook cannot sell a list of names of people who are interested in suicide prevention. But think of who they could sell a list of names that liked this hotel in Wagga Wagga. They could sell it to any entertainment business in Wagga Wagga, any uh, accommodation in the Riverina, trans, um, Tourism New South Wales, Tourism Australia. I, I had people from England and America and Canada and Asia all liking that post because it became a saleable list. And there was a chap, I remember, he said, our mental health problems started when advertisers in the Western world started promoting lifestyle as opposed to product. I, I, I remember in the 70s I always wanted to be in a Meadow Lee family. You know, that was, that was the pinnacle for me of what a proper family should be like, not like my dysfunctional family, which is just more like reality, right? But I wanted to be in that world. But I think our mental health problems have gone way over the top when advertising is now done by our friends, right? So again, looking at social media, which is the bulk of advertising, just ask any newspaper or traditional media you know, company, the bulk of advertising is done through Facebook and Google. Now, somebody puts up a post with a logo on it in Facebook, They've got the smarts to be able to pick out that logo. They then go, ah, that's a saleable item. So I look at a young person. They might have um, a bottle of champagne, right? Google's worked out or or, um, Instagram's worked out, okay, that's a bottle of this particular brand, right, saleable item, top of everyone's feeds, and importantly, and, wow. and this, is, this is an experiment anyone can do, start having a look at how many things, um, maybe not now because of COVID, but pre-COVID, the bulk of feeds that could come in would be somebody eating at a restaurant and travelling overseas or travelling you know, somewhere. And I did this experiment with a, with a friend of mine. They had travelled in Australia and they were getting a lot of feeds for, um, I think in this particular case, uh, friends who had been to Bali overseas. When they went to Bali, they started getting pictures of friends travelling, you know, to Athens and Paris and all these other things. Again, because they're saleable items to their advertisers. It's not just what your friends are actually doing. And what happens to young people with this volume of lifestyle images and advertising what happens for you know this younger mind this younger brain seeing this all the time every single one of my friends has more friends than i do they're going to better restaurants their family is kinder they do more exciting things they're better at sports they're getting more awards, etc. They've got a, a, a better puppy dog, <laughs> you know, etc., etc., etc. And it's designed that way. And it doesn't stop when you get off the bus at the end of the day. And it doesn't stop when you get off the bus at the end of the day. I, I, I look at, you know, it's hard enough. So some of the stories I talk about, and, and they're not stories, but facts around how social media is 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 manipulated by, you know, the shareholders and the owners of these companies. If it's hard enough for a 50-year-old to understand that, how in God's name is a 10-year-old or an 11-year-old actually going to understand, well, what you're seeing from your friends is not actually reality? Really, really difficult. And it's interesting how how we engage as well with these platforms, what our own how our own behaviors change depending on 
whether it be the likes or, you know, comments. I mean, this is kind of standard behaviorism. You know, whatever's um, reinforced tends to happen more. And so people have figured out if you take a photo of a coffee and you get lots and lots of likes, you tend to do that more often, especially if you then check in, for example, at a particular cafe. And as it evolves and moves, uh, you know, what people post changes as well. And I'm, I'm sure it's not just as a platform matures, but it's also as the platform understands how we operate and how we somehow internalize that and it's not even conscious by any means as a matter of fact it's clearly not conscious it it all happens you know unconsciously without our awareness most of life is and here's another platform that uh, is, is designed to try and exploit the way that we're built i think also um i've been asked a couple of times so so what's your solution and i think one of the key solutions has got to be as parents how we role model our behaviour. Because we're not going to get rid of social media. I mean, that's just never going to happen. But I look at some parental behaviour online that they would never do in person. Comments made on social media in public that they would never say in their own home. Now, one of the things that parents might not realise, but everything they put online is watched by their kids. They might not like them, as in, you know, the kids might not like the comment, but they're watching it. Mm. They really, really do. And I remember there was a um, some stuff... Um, uh, I think it was last year when when some Canberran kids were posting up Fight Club videos um, where kids were fighting, posting it up on social media and, and, and getting a level of notoriety through that. And that's disturbing enough, but what disturbed me even more was comments on Facebook by mums saying things like, I hope the police find this kid before I do, otherwise that kid's going to know what real violence is. Or another one that said something along the lines of um, what we should do is some adults go and beat that kid up. Now what happens when a kid sees that comment, that the way to solve violence is for a bigger person to beat up a weaker person? an adult to beat up a kid. Mm. And this is role modelling behaviour. And again, one of the things I find with social media is it's, is it's not actually different, it's just an amplification of what's going on already. And I worry about the impact that that's having on our, on our young fellas and our young girls as well. I mean, with role modelling, what, what, what you're saying or I think you're saying is that this is about consistency. This is, this is about role modelling that, that occurs even when a young person is not watching. Absolutely. Uh, because that, 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 that's true role modelling, being the person that, that uh, we want to be um, remembered by, whether it's you know, a young person looking at our, our comments or whether it be in the family home, maintaining consistency, uh, because role the, the the great issue with with role modelling is we give so much emphasis to the minute an, an athlete does something that's incongruent, and and that tends to take on you know a life of its own yeah. versus all the work that they do. But that's the thing we remember as as as, as young boys will remember that much more. Then they will, you know, the, the the multitude of times where you know, um, you know good behaviour was 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 uh, demonstrated. Yeah, and that's the stuff that gets amplified again, not just on social media, but on real media. I remember when there was that um, um, the fight between two bikey gangs um, in in um, I think some club in Fishwick. Now, in the old days, again, I'm showing my age here. That would be a newspaper story that no kid would ever read or 
it would be on an online website with a with a kind of a blurry photo that no kid would ever read. This year, it had a full fifteen minute video of the fight. Even on even on on news websites like the ABC. Fascinating for a young person to watch that. <laughs> and that's doing two things. One is it's desensitizing to violence. And the other thing is it's promoting that the world is full of violence. Both things can be really, really damaging. And and so we're getting a bunch of uh, young guys now who have had um, quite poor role modelling at home growing up. You know, it might surprise you, but some of our young guys have never seen adults have a disagreement that didn't end in violence. You think about that. Living in a world where you've never seen Dad disagree with Mum without violence happening. And then you start using media. You watch movies. Think about a movie that would appeal to a teenage guy where not only wasn't violence the primary means of resolving conflict, but violence wasn't used by the hero, the good guy, the role model, the dude you look up to, to get what he wants. And these young fellas are growing up going, violence is the way of the world. It's how you get stuff done. No wonder you have, you know, something like 14% of young guys in the last white ribbon survey that said while violence might not be right, it will help you get what you want. That's really challenging viewpoints. But you can't blame them because that's the world that we've exposed them to. And in so many ways, that's right. Except that no alternative option is provided going back to the start. It's like, yes, you can get uh, you know, revenge by you know, demonstrating your own violence and force, or you might have an alternative way of doing so by succeeding in another area or you know, ignoring them you know, we, we, with the understanding that that might even frustrate the person or whatever it might be. You, you can come up with a, a range of, of possibilities that don't require you know, physical violence, verbal violence, whatever it might be. Um, so, you know, the, the message that, that you're saying is that becomes the only option, or at least the one that's modelled the most so that the other uh, options don't occur. This is, this is why our, our mentoring program is so important. You know, I remember um, one of our mentors saying that um, he'd invited his young fella over for a, a Sunday roast. And him and his wife had a bit of a disagreement and they just resolved it. Okay, you believe that, I believe this, you know, and, and, and you just resolve it like adults do. And the kid had never seen that before. It was shocking. I, I remember going to a friend's place where uh, had dinner there and uh, everyone was served a plate. And in my, my uh, uh, family, we had a plate but all the food was served on the table and so there would be you know a second a third you could have you know, 15 helpings if you like uh, mum loves loves to cook and, and continues to do so <laughs> uh, but it was wildly different culture um, and it wasn't really I, I don't believe it was a culture because I've got a Serbian background it was just the way that my family did it I'm, I'm sure there's lots of Australian families that did exactly the same same thing but it was different to the culture of my roof versus my friend's roof we did it vastly different, and, and uh, I actually recall actually just, just talking about it in that way. I do remember um, actually very close friends I'm, I'm I'm with. I remember when each time we go home or to their home, both their parents would hug them uh, and, and and kiss them, and that's something that we didn't do in our family. Uh, and uh, I've actively sort of uh, made that a point, which was very difficult to, to start with because it's incongruent, mm. and we know from a behaviour perspective. Congruency is is everything, you know. We 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 continue to, to repeat what's congruent, what feels right, 
And when it doesn't feel right to, to hug, to cuddle, or to open up, to communicate, to express ourselves, to give an opinion, uh, then it's very hard to do. And, and, and what I'm hearing is that if young people are shown, demonstrate alternative perspectives, positions, options uh, in a consistent way, uh, like that, that, that's what Men's Link is, is designed to do, whether it's in its counselling service or whether it's in its uh, mentoring service or you know even its promotion of, 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 of mental health with young, young persons. We're trying to say consistently there's more options. Absolutely. Uh, for young people. Yeah, we, we have a philosophy at Men's Link where we don't use labels. So we don't have a perpetrators program. We don't have a particular cultural program. We don't care what culture you're from. We don't care whether you're gay, straight, whatever. Um, we don't care about what you've done. All we want to do is give you the best possible option to live a better life for you, your family, your community, your school, your employer, your employer, whatever it is into the future. Um, and so we will take guys, you know, from all levels of ability and disability and culture and ethnic background and, and family backgrounds, um, and we just say the only thing that's important is you're a young fella and you want to improve your life. And we'll hopefully give you the support and not judge you in how to do that to the best of your ability. What are the most common... Uh Topics that you see or, or issues that you see young people coming in uh, these days, you, you know, I think you mentioned violence, uh, you mentioned... Violence, bullying, anxiety, stress. And I think, um, I know we're sort of running short on time, so I'll finish with, with another story. One of the things we see in our risk-averse world is that we're not teaching young guys or necessarily young girls either the value of failure and picking yourself up off the ground and keeping going. I remember one mum saying to me about her son, oh, he couldn't possibly do that because he'll feel anxious. And she had the very, very best of intentions But we were able to say to her, but by taking, if every time he feels anxious, you take that opportunity away from him, he'll never get the sense of, you know what, I felt anxious, I did it anyway, and wow, I made it. And I remember we did a, a Silence is Deadly session at one of the schools with the Raiders. And this young fella put up his hand and he said, do you get scared? And one of the front rowers, you know, an absolute machine, says, you know what, sometimes we get so scared we're throwing up in the dunnies before a game. But we never let our fear stop us doing what we think is right. And that young fella just beamed. And I'm hoping that that's a statement that young guy will take with him for the rest of his life. You might be scared and there's nothing wrong with being scared, but you never let fear stop you doing what you think is right. Really important message, I think, for our young fellas in the ability for them to build up their own res um, resilience that will help them now and, most importantly, into the future. It's very powerful for a young man to hear that from a big, burly, strong man uh, to, to, to understand that uh, everyone feels that fear uh, because the traditional idea is, you know, fear is for the weak. You don't feel it or you've got to overcome it rather than, no, no, you, you, you live with it, you experience it, and you still step forward and, and, and do 
your responsibilities you know what, what what's important which which you know is clearly what what we're trying to uh, you know send on a consistent basis Martin, how do people find out more about men's link find out reach out to, to, to yourself as well so the best way to find us is on our website which is menslink.org.au um, and there you can also find me. Um, my email address is martin at menslink.org.au. And, um, yeah, we've been around for nearly 20 years just supporting young guys um, get through tough times with the least amount of harm to themselves and those around them. And, um, yeah, we're Canberra-born and bred, um, and we're always on the lookout for good men who would like to mentor a young guy and get him through those tough times. And we're always looking for community partners to support the work we do. Um, we're about uh, 60 to 70% funded by um, donations and um, we're always on the lookout for that to uh, help us to meet the ever-increasing demand from uh, our young fellas and um, they're mostly single mums. <laughs> And I can say that from from my own personal spec perspective, I know a couple a couple of uh, uh, persons who do the mentoring program and how much they themselves get out of it. Uh, um, when you flip it around, it's just as valuable for for the uh, mentors as it is the mentees. So I think it's a very rewarding program, and, and clearly, you know, we need much more of it so um, Martin thank you very much for your time uh, and I hope I hope uh, we can all take something from this and reach out to, 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 to model and to be more conscious of young young men and, and, and women as well but obviously today is about the, the needs of men you know and trying to support them in, into the future in this complex world thank you very much thank you thanks Nash if you enjoyed this podcast Please support it by going to iTunes and putting a review. Subscribe, share it via social media, and tell others about it. Start a conversation. It's listeners like you that make this able and possible and why we bring in these guests to go out and share their knowledge and resources. And just lastly, if you are a psychologist and you want to go out and be part of a bigger team, develop your experience and get into some exciting work, Come to strategicpsychology.com.au forward slash careers and reach out. I'd love to hear from you.